Hey folks, welcome back to the Wild Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Ayers. And in this podcast, we want to share mentorship to learn how to hunt, fish, and gather wild food. Our goal is to reduce barriers and create an inclusive and welcoming community for all folks who want to learn how to eat wild. So join us as we share stories, ethics, adventures, and knowledge about a way of life that's rooted in eating wild. Hey folks, welcome back to the Eat Wild Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan. Hey, on this podcast episode, I'm taking you along on a horse hunt. And we are in the mountains, an alpine adventure. I'm being, I'm being taken on this trip by my by my my friend, Steve Hodgson. We'll, and you'll get to know him through the podcast. He's a, he's a good friend of mine that I met through uh, our careers in, in BC Parks. And uh, he's done a lot of cool work. Um building relationships with indigenous communities um, as a park manager and uh, has is an exceptionally knowledgeable hunter and has most recently taken his passion for hunting in the mountains to um to to horses and becoming a horse adventurer and a horse hunter and i'm lucky enough that he he asked me to come along on a trip this year we've been talking about it for a couple of years and had a bit of extra time this year to to put this trip together and uh I guess it has been like I don't know, probably ten years since I did a horse hunt, and and it definitely there's a lot that comes with horse hunting, and I think that's the point of this episode. I think that you know many of us as hunters we sort of romanticize the uh, opportunities that can come with horse hunting, and there certainly are, and it's a really wonderful uh, experience as a whole. But I think there's a lot more to it that is probably worthy of discussion. That's why this podcast might be, you know, insightful to to hunters who are planning expedition hunts or any any type of hunt. Just some of the the work that comes with it, but also some of the uh, beautiful moments that come with getting to work with the horses and, and hanging out. So so that's what this is about. Along the way, we talk a lot about mule deer hunting and um, yeah, just our passion for uh, doing adventures like this. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, on this trip, uh, I was able to share some some. Uh, West Coast Kitchen Meals with with my host on this trip, uh, uh, Steve, and and um, turned him on to uh, having really high quality food dehydrated in a bag on 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 these types of expeditions. And we actually stayed this time in the Seek Outside Courthouse tent, which is a new tent for me. This is a tent that Steve bought a couple of years ago, and it's kind of a it's a little bit like a teepee tent, uh, but it's actually got taller walls on it so it's a bit more of a rectangular shape and so it gives you a bit more volume and space to hang out in Um, but still it's it's still super light and uh, kept us dry in the rain and cozy and warm so we definitely were sitting around the tin heater as we recorded the podcast so probably some of the audio recording is a little bit well we're picking up some of the chatter from the firebox but that's the way she goes so hope you enjoy this one oh and lastly What's exciting and new? Um, we certainly, if you know anybody that needs their hunting course, send them to Eat Wild. They can do our online hunting course. Uh, we'll, we'll be taking registrations pretty quick for, oh, this is exciting. We're going to do our first ever uh, archery hunting workshop. We're partnering with Adam Foss, uh, who was on a previous podcast uh, and on our elk packraft hunting adventure. And we're going to do a two-day uh, session on everything that we can teach you in two days about how to start your journey to become an 
at Archery Hunter. So that's going to be tons of fun. We're going to do that at a Rosa Ranch, and the target date right now is uh, in the first couple of weeks of May. So look out for that. It should be posted on our website here pretty quick. We're also doing our Hunter Field Skills Workshop, which is our three-day how-to-hunt workshop in the spring. And now uh, we're bringing back a bunch of other, like, um, cooking workshops and Sasha's making workshops and fun stuff like that into the calendar for next year. And we're bringing back the first buck banquet. So that's a fun one. If you've harvested your first animal and you've been part of the Eat Wild community taking one of our courses, then you're invited to come join us for the first buck banquet. Again, you can find that on our website and find out more details about it. All right, let's get into this one. Hey, Steve, how's it going? It's going just fine. Thank you for asking. <laughs> right on. So thanks for doing this, Steve. We're w- welcome to the Well Podcast. We're uh, somewhere on the north slope of... Okay, you're going you're gonna to let that go, eh? I wasn't <laughs> sure if you were like... I was like, to see which... Yeah. Region of, the, region of the province we're in. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, folks, welcome back to the Well Podcast. I'm on a... I want a, a, a pretty fun adventure here with a friend of mine, Steve Hodgson, who's a, actually was on the podcast maybe a few years back talking about First Nations st- uh, stuff related to hunting and uh, how we as hunters can approach hunting on Indigenous territories respectfully. And um, Anyway, Steve invited me to come on a horse hunt in his part of the world here. And uh, we've found our way up the mountain. And uh, we've had the assistance of four lovely beasts to take us up the mountain. And uh, now we're sitting on the fire doing kind of co- coerced Steve to chat with me a little bit <laughs> on the podcast. So, hey, Steve, uh, how are you feeling about being on the podcast right about now? Oh, it feels pretty good. Yeah, it, uh, it's definitely odd to be in these remote settings and like I'm doing something work related. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe work related or like you're like we're like... In the formal? Most we're like super formal? Let's get formal. We're in the mountains. Might as well get formal. We were just having this great conversation, right? And then I'm like, oh, we should really try and record this so that we can like try and share it with like the 17 listeners of this podcast. Right? <laughs> there you go, all 17. Cool, Steve. Hey, Steve, so if people didn't catch you on the first podcast, just a quick hello and, and, and who are you, Steve? Yeah, hello, everybody. Your 17 listeners, uh, Steve Hodson. Bella Coola, British Columbia, it's where he reside within the heart of the Newhawk traditional territory and yeah, raising a family and avid hunter, avid sports fisherman, uh, avid adventurer, climber, skier, and a horseback enthusiast. Hence why we are on this adventure today with my four wonderful, four wonderful mounts. So introduce me to, I mean, I, these horses are amazing and they, they were so kind to me today as a newbie horse person, but introduce me to our four uh, companions on this trip. Yeah, so we've got uh, Ranger, who's a Morgan, and I've had him for, I don't know, seven, six, six or seven years, and he's come on a lot of adventures with me, elk hunting up in Northern Rockies, moose hunting in the Chilcotin. Uh, lots of family adventures up in the Potato Mountain Range, uh, Rainbow Range, work trips, uh, trail clearing. And so he's he's got a wealth of experience in the mountains with me. And he's just a fantastic, really fantastic companion. So he's the guy you, you ride? He's the guy I was riding today, yeah. yeah. 
And then the Packers on our expedition here are uh, the Mouse Man, Mouse Man Cuso, Mr. Mouse. Uh, he is sort of a mixed horse. So he's got thoroughbred quarter horse in Belgian. So he's got, you know, draft in him. And he's, that's what you see him built, like as, he, as he's built. And, with that, and then he's got the quarter horse, where that's where he's got his big rear end from. And uh, he's got the thoroughbred sort of stamina. So he's a great, he's a great addition to the, to the herd at home. And then... Mr. We, P. We have Mr. P. <laughs> it's not Mr. P. It's Mr. P. Uh, he's my neighbor's horse. He is uh, my Bill Harstead's horse. Bill's 94, so Bill can't adventure in the mountains with me anymore. Uh, but Bill's who I learned, uh, did my first pack trip with when Bill was 88. So that was, that wow. was pretty fun. Yeah. So I still have, I still use Bill's horse. He lets me basically take care of his horse and use him and Bill keeps him at his property, but I, you know, make sure I trim him and trim his feet and take him to the vet to get teeth floated. But then he comes and packs with us and he is just, and I ride him and my daughter, she, we did a trip with him this summer and um, she ended up getting blisters on his feet and she usually she's riding Icelandics and only had saddles that fit the, that fit the, uh, that fit Mr. P. And so she had to ride him and just he is so gentle and so kind and such a willing willing horse he is like pretty much my favorite horse on the face of the earth I he's, he's just, a real sweetheart he's he just so just kind a sweet and, horse today. yeah he wanted to come back from the meadow like at first he's like oh I'll come back and hang out with you guys like, like, oh, I'm done. Is, is it grain time yet I'm pretty yeah. sure it's been an hour and a half I'm pretty sure that's the program I've been on my whole life and yeah. uh, it's been an hour and a half so I'm just gonna stand by this tree and wait to give me my grain yeah you can tie me is, up and I'll sleep all night this is the yeah I know right he doesn't fast doesn't yeah. mess yeah. like you look at that carnage on our trip today and but uh, and then the last one year mount is a little icelandic gal named katie so it's a one of the first times i've taken a mare on a on a hunting trip but um so far she's great we had other horses but we had some hoof issues so we kind of bailed on on taking bobby and, and brought katie and so she is uh yeah she is wonderful too she's great it's my mother-in-law's horse and um yeah she gives us free reign to to work with that little girl and take her out. She's packed for us before. She's she's an all-around great horse too. So, all, so why, all around. why so did you choose her as my? So so I'm riding Katie. So yeah. what were your thoughts behind putting me like? And and just important to note that like I'm not. A, I I've been on one horse hunt before. I've taken a couple horse lessons. I've been on a couple day rides over the years. Really, you didn't notice yeah. that I went in the parking lot this morning. You look like you've been riding for your whole life. <laughs> really? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> had a lesson in the parking lot. Well, no, no, this the is how you stop. This is how you turn. This is how you go forward. This is how you stop. Good enough. Let's go. Let's go. Well, I'm yeah, to the top keep, of the mountain without getting your, killed. Keep your saddle in line with their spines and make sure your saddle horns there so you're not hanging off one side or the other. Uh, wow. <laughs> so, so, so what, what What about her made her the most appropriate choice for my lack of experience? Because uh, I ran out of big horses. <laughs> 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 and to be honest, you know, uh, uh, well, Bobby was a little, he's a little, he's an Icelandic. He's just more stout. He's a little bigger than her. So he's, he's bigger. So she's our smallest horse. Uh, but Caitlin's mare would have been another option. Well, no, she wouldn't have let you take that. Well, she, she would have said no anyways, but she's another Morgan. She's a great horse. Uh, but other than that, that's it. That's our whole, uh, our whole herd. And then the only other ones, we had three other Icelandics at home. So we had Bobby, Katie, and, uh, Breeze. Or sorry, Bobby, Katie, and Embla. Embla, she's old. She's like, 29 i think or something or maybe even 30 i can't remember but she'd still pack you in here but she's more forward of more forward horse so katie's nice and calm relaxed i've packed lots of deer out on katie um i ran into grizzly bears while packing deer out on katie and she's just 
just a really steady horse. He's a little herd bound. Um, I mean, and that's just that comes with not being worked and not, nobody really kind of working with Katie in the last while. Like my mother-in-law doesn't come up and ride. She's had some uh, replace, hip replacements. So yeah, no one's been on the back of Katie for a while. So she's, uh, yeah. And it's fair. I mean, she has to put I, a I, lot of, she has to put a lot of trust into you and it's pretty hard, you know, if you're a green rider for a horse to put a lot of faith in you right away because they know you mean you get on their back they're like yeah. oh yeah okay i got this i'm just gonna keep up with the other horses and uh forget this guy like i'll just pack him around because i have to <laughs> totally when, when i got on her back she like looked over my shoulder looked at me she's like okay okay we got, i got this uh, yeah no problem yeah no problem and then i like i tried to steer her a bit she's just nah, I'm, i got this so i'll get you up the mountain and yeah, yeah it was great and she, i'll get you there calmly right yeah. and i'll get you there safely and i'll walk through through and i won't do anything totally silly no, she was great. I, I actually thought you put me on her because it was the, the shortest distance of the ground if I fell off her. And, well, that works out well, too, but <laughs> she's not going to buck. She's, you know, she's a really well, you know, she's a kind horse, too, super kind horse. And so, you know, all of our horses are really gentle at home. I mean, you know, Mouse, he's with us. He's the greenest horse that we have. And, you know, I worked on an abscess on his, was his front right foot since, from well, from Christmas until almost about a month ago go is when I was only able to start working with him again it was really bad and so I think I finally have that uh, lick but it's hard it's you know having a horse herd in in Bella Coola it's a lot of muddy country down there and swampy and it's hard to hard to keep their feet you got to be really on their feet and so he in particular yeah he had a bad abscess it kept rupturing about him in his heel bulb and holy smokes and then it would go and I'd soak and then blah 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 went through the whole rigmarole and finally and no farrier directly in Bella Coola too, which is kind of hard. So I do most. So of farrier is a is a. Explain what that is. It's so a farrier is, is like a professional in the horse world that takes care of horses' feet, and so they can diagnose diagnose a <clears throat> problem, especially some of those really experienced ones. And you you like working a lot with a, a lady out of Williams Lake, Monica, and uh, when she comes down, it's you know she just digs right in she finds a problem and she's great and uh and logan who i bought uh mouse man from he was a farrier as well too so and he's great yeah, i can text him and he'll help me walk me through problems so yeah i had to dig right into his soul with a knife and he keep going down until you know as i was told if it feels spongy then you got to stop and because that's in the solar down there and so what happens is you get close to this coffin bone right so if that rotates and uh, i don't know it's all kinds of scary stuff down there <laughs> that you don't want to dig into with a knife well this is a good sort of i mean one of the things that we we want to talk about eventually in this conversation over the course of a few hits if we do this uh, is just the complexities of horse hunting and i think that like i'm like i knew what i was getting into coming on this trip because it, there's um well heck like it's it's kind of it's a bit scary it's a bit dangerous getting on a you know thousand pound animal and and you know committing to it driving you up a mountain it's sort of like mountain biking but the other way around like mountain biking like you can thinks for you well yeah but like you know the whole time i'm on a mountain bike going down a mountain i'm like looking at all these hazards that could kill me like if i if something goes wrong like and you know like if you fall off your bike and your head hits that particular you know stump or branch or whatever and similarly on a horse going uphill like if something goes sideways and the horses you know get freaked out about something and, and you can't get your foot out of the stirrup and can't get off or whatever like Things can go pretty badly pretty oh, quickly. Oh, totally. You get a good old runaway or something. Like a grizzly bear comes piling out or even worse, a moose comes charging in at you. Like they, they don't particularly enjoy bull moose with antlers. I've mm. called them into them before and 
Eric the one time that was pretty funny he wasn't I wasn't sure what was going on but the bull was getting pretty close to the horses so I walked over to the horses and there the bull was standing there and the horses were having a bit of a temper tantrum so yeah you get you run into wild animals or whatever happens like we had a wreck today so on our journey today I had our my very first wreck I've always heard about these wrecks and and so today, Mr. P, somehow, uh, I guess his girth loosened or whatever. We're on the steepest so, part of the So trail. his girth is this strap that goes underneath right. so his body. It holds down the load. So well, it holds down the pack saddle. So it's, you have a pack saddle that goes on, and it's got a girth. So it's a dual girth on this one. So it's a dual cinch system. So, <clears throat> you know, you take your look. You pull them really tight with your latigos, and so you know I like to condition the horses and walk them around and make sure that they're ready to take your take the cinch and, and tighten it up. And so I did that with Mr. P and make sure it was tight, and I tighten and I retighten. And you, you got to let them, you know. I know there's some people have the old trick where you just knee them in the gut and they go ooh, and let out the air, and then you <laughs> tighten them as hard as you can. I've never oh, been into that. I, you know, you let them. You kind of work with them to to accept it that's coming on. So I did that with both of them, with Mouse and with Mr. P. And I thought that I had it all nice and zing and tight, and or as tight as you know as you want it to be. And uh, I don't know whatever happened. We are going down the. Well, well, hold on, just before, just so people understand what, what we're looking at here. So you got the pack saddle, which is just basically like a, it's a, it's a harness for right. these two uh, boxes that are. I don't know. Like How much maybe, do they weigh? I mean, 50 you pounds each. Well, 52 pounds each. <laughs> and uh, so there's two sort of um, rectangular pack boxes that sit on, that attached to each side of the pack saddle. And then there's a giant, there's a big bag that goes in between that weighs another 40 pounds that sort of sits on top. Yeah, so you hang the boxes off either side of the pack saddle. You tie them on and with, uh, you know, with a certain a hitch that you do. Uh, called the crow's foot is the one I use and then what you do is you put a pack top pack on top of that that weighs roughly around 25 pounds or you know you don't want to go too much more than that and then you set that on the top and then you lash that down with your with your ropes and then you throw a man what I do is I throw a manti tarp so it's like a canvas hard canvas tarp that I like and it goes over top and then I use the, what's called the double diamond so this is your this is the one where you you tie it on and it cinches everything together and holds it holds it tight and <clears throat> so we had the double diamond on there nice and tight before we left and so as we left the truck we do it we ascended for about I don't know 20 minutes or so and then we descended and so hindsight what I would look at now let's do it again before we descended we did stop but had a break at the top of the hill before we got onto this real steep downhill. Yeah, I actually started walking at this point because I was like, wasn't confident with my riding skills to. Yeah, and it was great. Like it was nice on Katie. She probably really appreciated the walk down, She's and it like was really steep. It's a really back. steep and really narrow, right? Like it's not. It's a really tiny narrow trail, and it's very steep on either side of you, and it's not. You know, it's not really all that forgiving. And so what happened is we were coming down that steep section. <clears throat> And then the packs all rolled over to the right. So it's rotating on the body so of the horse. So this horse is carrying this load and it's rotating on him. And so he was coming down and then he uh, he was doing well. And then what happened is he kind of came off to the side. The side he went uphill on the side in which the boxes were rolling, which was good because they would we were going to stop him. But then Mouse decided that he was going to have a little freak out with it not too bad like he did great like mouse did super great he just had to turn and uh, he just couldn't figure out what's happening so luckily you know my horse is nice and calm and uh 
I was able to pull mouse around, but that was also the, you have a breakaway. So you're two, so I should mention that the one pack horse is sort of tied into the other pack saddle, just with a piece of, um, like your haywire, not haywire, baler twine, but it's not metal. It's just like a fibrous cord, right? And so it's a breakaway. So if everything happens, it breaks. And so they break all the time. Well, and we should also mention that like, you're, you're the lead, um, you're leading the four horses and you're holding onto a rope that's tied to the first pack horse. Yeah. So I've got his halter rope. Yeah. It's halter rope. And then, and then from the tail, there's a, there's a bridle that goes down around his tail that the second pack horse is, has a bridle tied to like a rope tied to Yeah, so that. his, that's right. So, so you're basically, you're so towing three, yeah, goes. you're, you're leading two horses in addition to your horse down a hill. Yeah. And and I'm I'm riding behind you without, you know, uh, you know, well I'm actually walking behind you and and what I see from the top of the hill is I see this the the horse at the the second horse back which happens to be Mr. P and I can see the whole whole pack load rolls down off its back and it rolls around its body and now it's on its side and the horse is starting to get very concerned about this and it's sort of uh, it's sort of stomping down the hill now as opposed to walking because it's concerned about the load and then it shifts right beneath its belly. Yeah. And and meanwhile, you're sort of picking up, as you were saying, about the wreck where you're trying to hold up. Whoa up, whoa up. <laughs> this is right, grabbing, grabbing Mouse Man so he doesn't... Because Mr. P, he's just kind of getting dragged because he's so good, right? This is the That's thing. Where he's just like, he is just, he's just amazing. So... He's getting this pack boxes are going underneath his feet. So yeah, he's not enjoying it, but he's not bucking at it. He's just trying to avoid it. But he feels the tug on his halter rope because Mouse is, you know, he's kind of banging into Mouse at the same time. And then Mouse is like, whoa, what the heck is going on back there? So he kind of scoots forward. And this is on a very steep decline. Yeah, this is like on a super narrow. A very narrow, narrow trail where the like, you can't go down the side of the hill. the like, worst section the, of that trail. It's like uh, one of the worst sections of the You can't go up and you can't trail. go like, down. It's horrible. Right? It's like you got the three horse, worst section. And three horses pile it up on top of each other. That's right. And I'm like, wow, this is what wrecks look like is what my thought. This is a wreck. Here we go. Like at least it happened in the absolute worst place. And so you really test your, you know, your horsemanship and how well you've trained and worked with your horses to keep them calm under like an absolutely shitty circumstance. Only thing could have been worse if a grizzly bear came charging down at that very minute and then that would have been an all-timer. But no, they did great. I thought they, everybody did really, really well, right? I just pulled mouse around and he stood there with me on the hill and Ranger did just freaking awesome. Like he's just he's great and so he held on and i held mouse back from going down ranger didn't move or freak out or nothing he helped me uh pull mouse around actually really i was sort of backing up and um yes yeah, so we got mouse and then i was able to get off and tie mouse to a tree and then tie ranger to the same tree and then we went and mr p kind of at the same time as we had him stopped he came kind of crashing to stop and we got all his rigging off and it was all hanging down the hill and hanging wow. off all over the place and so yeah, that was really good like because he like yeah like when mr p came in behind mouse right that's when on the when we were all like we that's where if your horses at that moment were not listening to me if all three of them were not going to be you know taking my leadership at that very moment we would have been freaking piled down the mountainside like it would have sucked oh, good. <laughs> it yeah. would have sucked it would have sucked bad and and they, i remember looking at mouse and he was looking right at me with absolute fear in his eyes like he 
I just he held right and he did great and the ranger held him too and, and Mr. P came smashing in behind with boxes flying off and top like, packs and get these things off me around his legs and <laughs> and then he looked over and then he just stops right and they we never even broke the break breakaway like he didn't even it was unreal even, yeah like yeah, he didn't even, they it were was great. great they were freaking I love that's why yeah, like in Mouse, this is only, I only packed him once around the yard. I packed him in the yard a couple of times, just, you know, the walk him into some brush to make sure he feels like the weight, width of the pack boxes and feel what happens if they get hung up. And then I took him once out behind and walked, rode him through the forest and led him behind with the pack box and the chainsaw and went and did some trail clearing. But he's never had a horse tail off him and he's never had, you know, 130 pounds on him and going down super steep terrain and of yams <laughs> yams, yams and, and potatoes that's right they gotta Fuck, earn horse their hunting thing they gotta Wait. earn their hand they gotta yeah, earn their yeah. hand at some so point we should, okay let, let, let's get <laughs> let's hit the highlights here so so <laughs> let's hit that what yeah. did we have for dinner tonight let's, yeah, here's yeah, a highlight yeah, yams what did we have yeah, what did we have we had venison steak we had potatoes yams like and not onions, not like dehydrated garlics. potatoes no like, no like no. real potatoes out of my garden potatoes out of the garden out of my garden garlic the world's biggest yam the world's Biggest yam I could find in the store. Those buggers, they're going to earn their hay this year. <laughs> yeah, totally. And, uh, and and you brought in half a liter of... Um, sour cream. Sour cream, which I got excited about. So I mixed that. I, I took it's a little... because they didn't have a three-liter jug. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> I got excited, so I was like, wow, sour cream. So I took um, onion, garlic, and some J&Z uh, sausage. It's like their bacon sausage, which is like smoky bacon, basically stuffed into a sausage. Cut it super fine. And then a little bit of butter, and then um, yeah, and then and then took a bunch of morels and crushed them up, and we did pack a bottle of Jameson's whiskey up here, so I fried everything up in a frying pan, put the morels in, and then put the Jameson's in to like saturate the mushrooms and kind of bring it to being a sauce, and then added the sour cream, and then that came on top of our roasted yams and potatoes and onions that were in the fire and the seared steaks so that was definitely a horse hunting meal oh my gosh that's what it's all about so I'm, i don't know if we're necessarily up here hunting i think this is more like a horseback adventure well we yeah I mean, that to, was a whole we have yet to determine if there's any deer in this whole valley that we're in well so. okay so that's the other so so the first <laughs> thing that i learned today is that like we got we we got to the trailhead yesterday afternoon we kind of got all organized. We kind of packed the horse. We did a bit of a ride around, and then we realized we didn't have enough time to get all the way in, so we deconstructed everything. Made the right call. Made the right call, totally for sure. Totally made the right call. Like, well, the trail clearing we had to do today, and yeah. epics, you know, like there's totally... Just, yeah, well, between the wreck and just the retie... Even before the wreck, we, like, we, and at some point, we retied everything again, because it was... That was after that was, yeah. Yeah, and, and then we had to clear some trail on the way, and so, like, just an incredible amount of work to get... What amounts to maybe or what twelve kilometers up the trail or something? Like, yeah, I don't even know where we are. Like I don't. I, anyway, a maybe few few hours of riding. Kilometers. I mean, yeah, probably eleven. The actual riding, right? But um, yeah, not very far. But it was a bit no. of an ordeal. It's so like it's a that was a tough going eleven k today. Like yeah, yeah, a lot of it's trail lot clearing, of work. And brushing, and route finding, and. Yeah. yeah, it I felt like, like an adventure, man. I, I, it was I, an adventure I was, today. It was, it was like, an adventure. I was exhausted. I could do 25, 30k in a day on a horse, like, and it's not like that. No, <laughs> I feel no, less tired than that. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so that was the, so the premise of this podcast is a little bit about <clears throat> talking about the adventure of horse hunting, but like also recognize like like I've always thought about horse hunting as like this something this, this like dream that I want to do. I want to hunt on horses because it's like 
that it, that's the epitome of, of hunting. And what I'm learning, even in this experience, relearning as I've kind of learned this lesson before, is that horse hunting is a pile of work, and it's a real commitment, and it's a real, like, passion. And you're talking about the, the hooves, from the, from the hoof, hoof health, like, um, to, like, just the commitment of working these horses throughout the year so that when you do get put into a stressful situation, that you've got the relationship with the horses and you've trained them to a place where you can feel confident that you can control that situation and it can have a positive outcome. So that that's sort of a start for me of, of learning. So it's like, wow, what what a commitment this is. Of, oh, yeah, of it's all about them out here too, right? So it's it's all about the horse. Like I I find that I come out here and it's like the horse first. Mm-hmm. So the horse is first. You know, they're outside of their element. They're you know, you know how many times a year we get out? Two or three, four times a year we get out trips with the horses. So you know, most of the time they're sitting in pastures or riding around in the valley bottom. So. Yeah, they come and get thrown out of the mountain. So they're, you know, they have to really <laughs> look to you for some, some leadership, but definitely in those challenging times. And you know, so you got to put a lot of time in. I guess not, I know people definitely, like you say, glorify it, right? And they're like, oh, yeah, it's just these horses just get on their back and off you go in the mountains. They carry it for you. No big deal, right? But yeah. you have to learn how to, how do you throw a diamond? How do you throw a single diamond, double diamond, or any other hitches that you want to throw on to attach your pack boxes on there? Do you want to use bags? Do you want to use boxes? How are you going to pack Oh, man, there's meat? so much to it. Like, How are you going to get train your horse to pack out? Well, then how are you, you going to get trained to? Because that's the tricky part. Like, how do people learn about this stuff? And we'll, we'll talk about that maybe at another hit. But, like, one thing I've definitely noticed is, like, when I drive up the Alaska, the Alaska Highway, and there's very notable trailheads along the way. And over the 25 years that I've been... I got the hiccups. This is going to be difficult here, so we'll have to wrap this up. Um, is that there's more and more horse trailers at every trailhead? More and more over the years. Oh, I would say so. In my Maybe experience, you think that this in the last increasing. well, in the last five years, there's actually more people who are getting into this. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, for sure. Like, wow. to, to, like I just, thought there would be like a dying. No, no. I, th- I think it's just like sort of the jet boating and stuff too. I mean, it's just this desire for wilderness access. Jet boating, I, I can see. Well, I think it's just the next level, right? I mean, it's just this. But but gosh, is it ever a thing? Like, is there ever a lot to it? Okay, we should we should wrap up here because I've got the hiccups and we've got to like we've got this fire keeps just blowing smoke up. Not me, uh, it's just on the. I got it. I got right it all now. right now. So, um, but we should just. We're actually going to try and hunt here. So we should just sort of talk Are about... Are actually going to try and hunt? Well, at some point, we might. I think we're going to go check out some mountaineering routes. <laughs> yeah, totally. As I, was looking, I was trying to glass today, and I'm like, look at that deer habitat. Oh, but look at that ridge. Oh, look at that. There's access there. Okay, if the guy was to go over there, okay, what does that rock look like? That looks like not such bad rock. That's Chaussy Rock over there. Da, 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 da. I'm like, oh, yeah, right. I'm deer hunting. Oh, wait a minute. That so looks just... like good girl going habitat. Oh, yeah, deer. Damn <laughs> yeah, it. Totally. Oh, I don't see so, any deer. I'm out. So we've climbed up out of the valley up into this 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 beautiful like we're up in this like alpine meadow valley here and we've got we're surrounded by on either side of us on, well, we're on, still in tree line right yeah we're, we're at tree we're line at here tree line, but, these but beautiful we look at if we keep, if we look due i guess that would probably be south or is yeah, that like south basically east south east. Yeah. it's like big like rocky mountain type mountains like big like yeah it's big terrain big terrain and that's like goat country and you know if there were sheep around there'd be sheep there and then but to you know, to the east and west of us are are quite deery looking ridges, and um, and we're in this like gorgeous 
little meadowy valley bottom with like some fairly mature trees. Yeah, green pine trees. Green right? pine trees. Yeah. It's gorgeous. Beautiful big old growth lodgepole pine. Beautiful forest. Yeah, so it's just a idyllic spot. And like, oh, I don't yeah. know if we're going to find Stunning. a deer here, but like we yeah, could yeah, sit yeah. around here for a few days and admire it. Right? Like I think we both agreed. It's like, yeah, we're here for the adventure and pay some dues as i like to call it right like we're out there paying the dues to see if this is worthwhile coming back for deer hunting or maybe it's going to be family adventures on horseback maybe we'll just bring kids into the lake and go swimming fishing grouse hunting yeah hiking climbing yeah well it's a spot for sure it's a a spot it's a it's a a beautiful spot spot. i'll be continually coming back to regardless if there's deer or not i'm just loving being here with this weather stretch too i mean this is phenomenal we're standing outside (laughs) sitting there at dusk, in just a long sleeve shirt, glassing alpine ridges into Chilcotin. I mean, in October. In October. I mean, unreal. Unreal. I've unreal. been hunting moose up here this time of year, and I've had my pickle jars freeze overnight. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. This is just <laughs> we're special. Doing, this is pretty, we're doing great. Yeah. So anyway, so tomorrow we're going to, well, t- after this, we'll come up with some kind of plan as to how, how we might try to put together a hunt tomorrow. And uh, maybe we'll check back in on the podcast after we've had a bit of a hunt. Anyway, yeah. Steve, thanks for doing this. You're welcome. Awesome. Okay, we're back. I think we're like day, like two full days of hunting now, right? Yeah, I'd say today is our second day of hunting, yeah. Yesterday and today. The first episode, we probably talked a little bit about horses and getting in here. Um, And now we're actually kind of hanging out and we've been hunting for a couple days. A totally new area to both of us. Yeah. And so we're camped in the bottom of the valley and there's major ridges on the east and west side of us. And then there's like really big sort of goat mountains to the south of us. And then we came up the valley from the north. So going south into the big mountains is kind of not really mule deery, uh, but you can go look at goats and grizzly bears. So that sort of the deer hunting is sort of on either side of our camp on these two ridges. So we kind of, I went up the, I guess it would be the East Ridge and you went up the West Ridge and um, on the first day and I actually looked back and once I got up a little ways I, I, I had a pretty good opening and I was able to glass back at your ridge and the first spot I looked at there was actually a group of deer uh, you know feeding out into an opening um, so that was kind of nice I was confirming that there were actually deer here because that was the first <laughs> question we had to establish <laughs> great horse country not sure if there's deer here um, anyway, you ended up you ended up going up there and uh, having a wander around. And, and how was how was your hunt on the first day? Yeah, it's good. <clears throat> Boots were loud and squeaky, and I had to dial in the dial in the gear a bit. Learned the uh, the sock over the lip trick to quiet the boots. That was good. <laughs> had to go with like Plan C on the boots coming in. But they've uh, turned into be very comfy. But no, the first day was good. It's beautiful. Yeah, ascended the the West Ridge and. Really, it just turns into a big alpine sort of flat. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of deer sign. Is every, I don't know, you know, 50 feet or 100 feet of elevation, there's another lateral deer trail, horizontal sort of side hill trail. Um, yeah, I made it up into the parkland on the top. Mix of uh, beautiful white bark pines, subalpine fir, and grasslands, beautiful natural grasslands that, sort of butt right up against to these massive rock buttresses 
Yeah, these, these are monolithic old, yeah, mountains, which are just incredible. Incredible, I mean, as far as scenery go for hunting, when you're sitting up on those knobs and you're overlooking this grass, natural grasslands that <laughs> joins up the glaciers and rock walls. It's incredible. It is And all spot. within, like, just a really tight, confined space. Like, all those different sort of ecotypes, all within a very... You know, meager distance. Very yeah, it goes distance. from like inhabitable country to goat country to mule deer country in about 300 yards. Yeah. It's incredible. Like the transition from these like, you see monolithic mountains down to rolling grassland hills. So so I went up the other side of the hill and, it, and, and it, like to me, the other side of the hill looks like what I think is mule deer buck terrain. So it was like scree slope and scrubby brush. Uh, we call it scaly pine or, or, or little subalpine firs as well. Kind of growing up on the side hill. It's very steep, 40 degrees. Um, but it looks like the kind of place that a buck would live. So I'm drawn to that side of the hill. It's a bit steeper, a little bit more to fight fight through the, um, the pine and the old sort of blowdowny pine that's in the bottom of the valley to get to the hill. So it's just a slog. So I've gone up there. I got suckered up there two days in a row now <laughs> up to top of this ridge. It's just like a fight to get up there. And then they're just not really like, well, there's a lot of sign, but it's all grizzly bear sign. <laughs> a lot of sign. A lot not of sign. Not deer sign. Not deer sign. Just lots, lots of deer of bear sign. sign. Um, yeah, there's a lot of bears in this valley. That's there's a lot of bears in this valley. It's kind of, it's kind I don't typically have. I have a bit of like grizzly bear fear in this valley. Like I don't, I don't normally, I feel somewhat in control of managing my bear situations, but here I'm kind of like, I'm spending a lot of time in thick, challenging country fighting my way through without a lot of like, yeah, like not a lot of good view corridors. Well, the good news is it's so bloody loud in there. <laughs> yeah, there's no, there have to grizzly be deaf and buying grizzly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even grizzly bears are going to be scared away. So, Which has also been the challenge for hunting here, because even ascending the west side, it's very loud to get up there. Yeah. And as I noted from listening to that grizzly bear at, you know, 400 meters away today, at one point I even thought I heard it, and heard it snort. That's just kind of funny, but I could see it splashing around in the lake, and it was sort of real time with each step I could hear without much of the delay in the binoculars. So That's cool. It was really cool watching it swim. Yeah, yeah you, see, you saw a grizzly bear go for a swim today. Yeah, it was swimming in this crystal clear, beautiful alpine tarn. Well, I guess it's below tree line, so it technically wasn't an alpine tarn. So maybe it's called It is a kind pond. of a tarn, though, which is where it is. It just happens yeah. to like. A little lake, a little, a little feature, a beautiful yeah. little feature in a basin yeah. mixed into this beautiful parkland, right? The, you yeah. know, they got the El Lodgepole Pine, and then it moved out of the lake. Yeah. So I was looking down, I saw the grizzly bear, I heard it. At first, I thought it was the deer because it was quiet, and then it kind of got louder. So I knew I definitely wasn't going to go and stalk whatever the heck was making the noise. And then sure enough, it popped out. Beautiful, beautiful adult grizzly bear. I'm a th thinking that the size of it and the fact that its face had no scarring and everything. I didn't see it pee, so I can't tell if it was a male or female. But just judging from my experience and the lack of scarring on this animal with the size of the animal makes me think it's a very large sow, but uh, with no cubs. But really healthy, great shape. Yeah, really, really in good shape. And uh, so I lost sight of it, and I was kind of hoping it was going to work its way up towards me and push me a big buck out of that, uh, <laughs> out of the timber and work its way up. But no, it continued down along the sort of valley path it was on. 
And I was kept watching, you know, and listening, and I didn't hear it. And then all of a sudden, I could see ripples in this totally flat, calm lake, not a breath of wind out there. And I could see these ripples moving across the lake. And I'm like, oh, I must be walking along the edge because there's no wind. And I was using my binos on the lake, and then I looked down, all of a sudden, there it was out there just swimming around in the middle. So it was really, that was quite a serene moment. Because again, you're looking at this. I don't know, what, 9,000-foot peak or 8,000-foot peak on the other side. There's a crystal-clear lake where you can see every rock on the bottom with your binoculars. And there's this, you know, great big grizzly bear just swimming around, doing laps in the middle. Of the like, it's like going for a swim. I, like, I can see its feet. The water is so clear with the binos. I can see its feet just swimming so along. So what I can't figure is why is he go like, why was this grizzly bear going for a swim? it's so damn hot. I guess so, but still. And he's going to be wet all day and go to bed oh, wet. Oh, that's and a grizzly bear. That's what they are. They're just built for... They're built for for tough weather, not for uh, twenty four degrees in the first week of October. No, they certainly aren't. But yeah. so you're you're kind of going for this program of like you're you're actually still hunting mule deer in the Alpine. It's what your program is. You're kind of like it's fun. You kind of found some nice timber and some nice meadows, and you're just kind of you know sneaking what? through. Yeah, and if I would have actually kept my head up and looking into that corner today, I guarantee I would have seen one. It saw me, <laughs> and I listened to it scurry off, and it's tracks went right through the wet grass right in front of me and I heard it and uh yeah jumped one yesterday but that was being really loud on my way down that was really tough a little steep jumped one in the timber on the way up that timber is miserable and gnarly and um but yeah the one on the top today was definitely I was totally still hunting you know take four or five steps slow down listen four or five more stop no wind though so you have nothing to conceal your sound and it's very dry crispy ground in that grass but that deer held it held and i if i would have been looking in that corner <laughs> had i should have been uh i would have seen it because it left from right where i should have looked like in the dark shady corner instead i was gawking it whatever else i was supposed to be gawking. so this opposite to sort of what i'm my program or what i'm sort of trying to do is Spot and stock. Spot and stock. So I'm trying to get up high with my spotting school, get to where I, or even actually get down low. You can see a lot of this country from, from the valley bottom. I just put the time in watching the openings and hoping that something's going to pop out. And so yesterday I saw two groups of deer on your hill. So a total of two, two groups of three. And um, looking back across the valley and where I went up, it was, yeah, I, I didn't, I found a little bit of sign, but nothing really to get me too excited. The best part about my day was I ended up crashing the top of the ridge and looking back down into the next valley adjacent to us. And it's just like, again, it's a spectacular country. Like every direction you look, it's just so, it's just so much deer country to look at. So much goat country, just cool How many features. Goats have you seen? Well, yesterday you saw those three. You saw the three. Well, then plus the two that you and saw. Then I saw the two. So a bunch of goats. Um, but anyways, and then so yeah, I just the, just the views and the, the landscapes are just worth the worth the ride up there and down. Well, oh, this is like that corner sitting on top of the knoll. That yeah, it's definitely the most aesthetically pleasing spot I've sat to watch for deer. Oh, by far. So today, I went kind of with my program of going kind of watching for a bit and I found some more deer on your side of the hill and sent you notes and there's some deer out in that one meadow and and as I was sitting there I seen one deer butt right in the in the spot that I would say is the buckiest looking spot it definitely on the hill bucky. I was glassing that spot tonight yeah it's just the and I was like I was expecting to see a deer there and sure enough I look up and there's a deer butt there I'm like oh perfect and there I 
Yeah, I'm like right on there he is, and and it's a big butt. I'm like, oh, that I, I just I just know that's gonna be a just an absolute stomping monster big buck in my head. <laughs> and so I get my spotting scope out. By the time I get my spotting scope out to look at it, it's it's gone. But I'm not too concerned because it's not a huge piece of terrain there, and it's kind of like I said, it's like a it's a spot where I think a buck lives. So I'm like, okay, well that's cool. At least I know there's a deer there now, so it's worthwhile going up and looking at him. And so I climb up, I, I, I sort of cycle out this route to climb up the adjacent ridge downwind of where this deer was. And I figure I could get to within a couple hundred yards and have a look back at his his ridge and hopefully see him. And if it's, if it's a good buck, I'm in shooting range. That's all good. So I go, I go hustle down the valley to get onto this ridge. And man, it's like, I took some video of it. It's like honestly the worst blowdown awfulness that I've ever tried to climb through. Ugh. And like... Like you just, in addition, it's steep and a steep, ugly blowdown, and it's just relentless for about a kilometer. I finally like punch through it to get to this sort of steep, ridgy part, and it goes did from. You, did you go up in that where that rock, like that little rock buttress is there in the middle? Yeah, right there underneath it. You went up towards that red rock buttress. Yeah, <laughs> oh, right underneath oh, it. Hilarious. Yeah, basically, and that was like the, the part that looks as nasty from here is actually the nicest part. That super steep scree stuff. You're like, I'd never go there. I was actually, I was like, oh thank god, <laughs> super steep scree slope that like my foot sinks down two feet every time I take a step. It's still better than what I came out of. It was so awful. <laughs> that deer is probably snickering away and just trying. Oh to he's, yeah, he was just like he was like... five miles the other direction by the time I got there. It was so awful. Here he comes. Oh, yeah. I gotta leave. What two hours? I got two hours. <laughs> yeah, and I'm on this side, and, and and like I'm just looking for any. Like I just thought, thought like, there'd be some deer trails like going across those scree slopes and stuff. And there's um the the only trail I found is, and you would know, Steve, what this is, is, is having spent a lot of time looking at grizzly bear trails. But there, it was like a pounded in trail across the scree slope. But it's just like um uh, a very a pattern of like holes uh going across the scree slope and it's like it's like something has stepped in the same hole year over year oh yeah nice no, like a big old pad trail across the yeah. scree slope That's yeah cool. big old grizzly bear pad trail going across the scree slope and it's like it's about the some of the some of the holes are like like four to six inches deep and just like right across the scree slope and like like i know that deer don't make trails like that no. <laughs> so I know that I'm like, I'm like the only relief I have to the squeeze up there if they're going for marmots or if they'd be going for bugs or digging up bugs. I think it's marmots because there was so much digging up there. Oh yeah, like there's so much day. everywhere I went. There was digging. There's fresh poops. Oh there's man, there's lots of pikas around too. For yeah, sure. or yeah, pikas. I think it was pikas. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was a pika hill. And man, there's a lot of digging and a lot of grizzly bear sign. Yeah, I yeah. saw a couple of excavations on the other side oh, too. Man, I came down that other part of that ridge and. I just like was bumping into like every little time. Like it was just, it was a 40 something degree slope coming down. It was so steep and boulder. It was terrible. Yeah. And I get one, I, I finally hit a little flat spot just where I can rest for a second. Like just, the, just you know, the base of a tree or. So did you end up coming down the ridge? Like the Bucky looking ridge? Yeah, I came right down the Bucky looking ridge. It was yeah, terrible. Yeah, just misery. Misery. And, and every time I stop, I finally find it, like, 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 cause like, I mean, I'm basically falling down the hill. It's like, I find a little spot with a little bit of flatness to it. There'd be a grizzly bear poop on it. Like it's, 
just like I don't know. He just like had these little anywhere you could purchase, you know, get a little purchase. He'd have a dump on it. Nice. Anywhere there's a flat spot, I yeah. can stop. Oh, I can take a poop. Okay. Yeah, totally. And I'm like, and I'm just trying to find a spot to rest my legs for a second. <laughs> oh, there's another grizzly. I was like, I get anxious and keep on going down the hill. Anyways, I did get the benefit of an another amazing view from the top of that ridge, but uh, didn't see a whole lot in the way of deer sign or deer. So tomorrow morning, I'm gonna go up. You're going westward. I'm gonna go westward. Go up to the pretty side of the hill. Doesn't feel bucky to me. But I know there's at least six does on that hill, so I'll go look at them. Yeah, there's more than that, because you saw six and I jumped two, so there's definitely eight deer over there. Yeah, so there's some deer there. So maybe there's a buck hanging out, but... Uh, oh, I think so. Looking at that rub line, too, along the top. Hey, we should talk about one thing, though. I want to get this complicated... Well, not complicated, but there's the reality. As we as we sit here and we do this hit for the podcast, um, I can we, you can no doubt hear the bells of the... Uh, of the horses and they're out in the pasture adjacent to our camp here and they've got hobbles on so they're basically the little um kind of like handcuffs 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 across their front feet so they can't sort of trot but what they learn to do is they can lope fairly well and fairly they efficiently can, with them yeah lope very efficiently but and so they have their halters on but tied off around sort of on their necks to make sure that if they you know if you need to go and catch them that you can and so yeah they're on a bit of a program right they go out for an hour and a half uh, at a time on the hobbles for grazing and then they come back and go on the high line and then they have their green so they, so they come back one. they come back because they 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 that we because we feed them a cup of grain and so they get on their program like horses are pretty habitual right are they like to have routine like horses really in like their routine and even at home if you're let's say if you go for a week then that you know if you take them so we rotational graze them on our field and we take them off middle of the day as well too so that we don't you know we have a really rich grass down in Bella Coola and especially the Icelandics they can founder so you know it's like an insulin response so they can actually you know colic or founder founder and die from it um, or like rotate a coffin bone there's all kinds of medical things that can happen with too rich a grass for too long for those horses so uh, but once you get them on the program, like they, within the f- give them f- five, five minutes, they every day they know it, and they're back standing there within there. Yeah. So, so the grain kind of is is the is the treat at the end of the day. It's the ice cream at the end of the day, right? So they, yeah, it's like they, the they, reward, right? The rewards. They come in. They come in for the grain. So, so we've got them out there right now. We, we've come in after a hunt and had dinner. We set them out just at just at dark, so they're just cruising around in the meadow next to camp here feeding away and drinking water and then they'll come back in here and and there's one one of the mr p mr p yeah he knows when it's going to be an hour and 20 minutes he's like an hour and 20 minutes guy i think all the other horses are probably getting mad at him because every time he kind of shovels his way over here and then we go tie him up and then the rest kind of follow and then they're like ah mr p mr p he's just on the one hour 20 minute program but he comes and gets his green and then they settle in for the night and we have them highlined just uh, near camp here, which is a basically a, a, t- a rope tied between two trees, and then the and you basically tie off the horses uh, along the line, and that just keeps the horses from well wandering around, also from beating up on trees and stuff like that. So, cause a lot of people will tie their horses to trees, and then the over the course of the night, the horse will dig up roots or chew on the bark or even get tangled up in the tree. So, the highlighting program is the better option if you can do it. But the tricky part of this, though, and why it's sort of is sort of relevant is like you can't just get up in the morning and go hunting, which is what I'm used to. 
<laughs> well, you can. I'll wrangle. I'll well, be wrangling. Yeah, yeah, I'll so, wrangle those ponies. No problem. Well, yeah. that's what we've been doing. So there's a, yeah, there's so a program in the morning. There's a couple different theories. So diff, different people have different ways to go about it. So this is how I've learned. But I will like to train them too. So you can actually pick it. So some people, what they'll do is they'll take the horses that, you know, a couple horses, the ones that like to run away from camp or the ones that are real dominant. Like if there's a real dominant mare that everybody follows, like a real leader, they'll pick it a couple horses so, so what's picket, picketing? Picket means they'll take a like a spike, like a wooden spike, and they'll drive it in the ground really hard so that the, the horse can't pull it out. And then they'll either, some people either tie it off to the rope halter, so off to their head, or they'll tie it off to a back leg, or some of them will tie it off to a front leg. And so then that way they'll have like a, say, a 20-foot long rope. And so they can do a circumference of like, you know, your radius would be whatever 40 feet yeah um that you could do in a circle and so they'll just rotation they'll rotate around that stick in the ground and there'll be a couple of them staked out and then the rest can just be on hobbles and freely graze all night long and then they'll go and pull them off before sunlight comes up and then they'll tie them up and the horses will be tied up for the day and then again at nighttime they go back out and they stay overnight so they'll feed overnight and they'll be tied up during the day Whereas I'm on the program where I do hour and a half. So hey, hold on, before just to, just to clarify, a couple of yeah. things that are happening there. So the the one sort of general rule of horses is that they're they're herd animal. So if if two horses are stuck there, on say tied up to this post, the right two horses, the right two horses, the the rest of the herd will stick around. That's right. Is the theory right? And then and so then they feed all night because the horses have to feed for a certain amount of time. You have to water. Uh, but if you get all that done overnight, then you can bring the horses back in first thing and then bugger off hunting for the day. <clears throat> the only risk that you kind of run with that is that you've, you know, you have your horses out there overnight. And so you you don't really have that control. Whereas, you know, I'm sleeping beside them, they're tied up and I know where they are and I know what's happening. Like if, you know, the proverbial poop hits the fan, then I'm here and I'm beside them and I can help. Whereas something happens out in the meadow and I'll heck breaks loose and you have to go out with the lights and try and figure out what's going on and find horses lost in the woods somewhere who knows what happens horses too they can get you know they're wild animals essentially you know they're one step away from reverting back to the wild like these ones if you cut their halters and they didn't feed them and da, 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 they would survive out here right? yeah, they'd probably just eat and be pretty happy <laughs> keep on going cold for the winter, they, may, right? they may die because you know they wouldn't be able to figure out what the wintering ground is they've never been taught but um so they'd probably get snowed in and die but who knows? Maybe they would be smart enough to work their way out. But anyways, so, you know, if something comes in and they, they're prey and like a moose comes in or a bear comes roaring in there chasing them, they go buggering off into the bushes. And then, you know, you got yourself a bit of a, especially with green horses like Mouse, like he's young and green. And so, yeah, you have a chance of losing that guy, which is pretty sad. So it's all about, you know, you want the horses to do well and succeed out here and be happy enough but also keep them safe, right? So even like tying them up during the day on these. So today, like for example, we've been on, so we go hunting in the morning. Before we go, I, you know, they graze for an hour and a half and then they go back on. And so we're, grade, we're getting up. At, yeah, we're kind of putting them out. At, you know, we get up and half hour before daylight, they're out there again. We put them out there on the hobbles. They're out in the meadow. That's right. And then at lunchtime, they go out again for another hour and a half. And then <clears throat> tonight, they've probably almost been out there for almost two hours now. It sounds like their bells are getting closer yeah and so they should be coming back here pretty quick and you know we make sure that they get water and that they're watered during the day and they're taking really good care of them and it's good too that they're tied up and being with you because it gets rid of a lot of the, like they're you know like 
I mean, well, you can look at Katie, right? She'll paw away, and <clears throat> you have to twist the hobbles on to keep her front feet together tight so she doesn't <clears throat> paw. But it's good for them to be tied up with you. It's just good. They just just good for the horses. Well, it's safer, and it's just it's a it's sort of like having your boat tied to the dock versus you know floating out in the bay. You know, I guess to some degree. <laughs> yeah, it's like a, <laughs> kind it's of like oh really. no, it'll be there in the morning. It just it should just come and go at the time, but not yeah, very right. far. You know? like, <laughs> yeah, right. you okay? You just got to paddle yeah. up there in the morning and get it. Yeah, and, you know the, the the horse the horseman that I've learned from Evan Howarth, who is you know he's amazing, phenomenal, some of the best in the world for sure, from all accounts, from everybody else that I know that's ever worked with him. And that's his program, and he's a hunter, and where's a guy working, a guide outfitter, and, you know, so he's hunted off horseback, and cowboys off horseback, that's what he is. He's the cowboy, that's what he does. He cowboys off, he makes money off the back of his horse every day, rides almost every day. Um, and this is his program, so, you know, if it's tried and true for that guy, then that's, that's I'm, I'm good with that. Yeah. So we figured this out, that I, so we get up sort of together, I get a little bit of a head start. I go climb up my side of the hill, and I glass back over to Steve's side while he's dealing with the horses. And I get count all the does on his side of the hill, and I say, hey, there's seven does on your hill to get you all excited to go climb up there. And then so far it's been working chase, out great. Then I'll go up there and scare whatever I find <laughs> in the bushes. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I go the opposite direction yeah. and then scare them whatever yeah. do I find. Oh, it's been good. It's been good. Anyway, it's been fun. And it oh, it's sounds been like, great. It's yeah. been a, just a, yeah, just an absolutely wonderful. And then plus, Dylan tonight made uh, bangers and mash. So we have some uh, moose, moose sausage. And uh, because we have horses, we have yams, potatoes, <laughs> onions, garlic, <laughs> carrots, and in, in, in the smash. Yeah, it's all out of the garden there. So it's oh. all we have this totally you know hundred mile diet here tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I moose mean, from the Chilcotin even. So there we go. We're the all... morels came from oh, and morels came from morels. Manning Park area yeah. or near Manning Park, not the park, of course, because oh, we're both park rangers. We'd never take a mushroom out of a park. That is the best dinner. That was just such a good dinner. Yeah, tonight. it was Holy pretty smokes, darn good. good. Yeah, bangers and mash and morel mushroom sauce. Gravy in the backcountry with morels, like a morel gravy, like that's amazing. Yeah, it was pretty special. No, this has been great. Like, and again, this wall tent, not to. You know, toot the horn of those who've created this wall tent, but I love it. It's light, yeah. fits on the back of the horses, not a problem. Yeah, it has its advantages yeah. over the. It's got it's a lot so more room roomy. than the yeah, than the eight man so teepee roomy. for sure, and it's not that much bigger in the package. It's it's quite a thing. I'm pretty stoked on it. Yeah. I think it just the only real difference is how it would perform in the wind. But man, does it ever give you a lot of room? Yeah, like it. I wouldn't want to go and set this thing up in the Alpine somewhere, probably. But no, no, we've done that. And, uh, no, I yeah. don't know how well the TV tents would do up there. Even like that's why they've, you know, geodesic domes. That's that's why they have the dome tents. They're made like that for a reason, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Okay, let's sign off and uh, let's go take care of these horses. And um, yeah, thanks for doing this, Steve. Thank you. Hopefully, we'll have some yeah, some more to talk <laughs> about. Uh, I think we have another day or so of hunting with in us. So swimming grizzly bears and mountain goats. Yeah, we'll see what Dose. else we can find. Dose. <laughs> Dose. <Okay>. Dose. <laughs>is bitter pattering out there so this morning of maybe day five of our horse hunt five already i think we've had like four dinners for sure hmm. four yeah. pretty good dinners last night's dinner was highlight last night's dinner was a highlight <laughs> it's pretty good although that i wish they would have brought home what the uh the homemade pesto and not the not the can not the one in the jar yeah the fact that you brought a jar of pesto up here in itself is representative of horse hunting i didn't bring it
Oh, yes, true. The horses brought it. <laughs> horses brought it. Thank you, horses. So uh, this is another side, another side story. Here's, we were at the trailhead, and we were deciding whether or not to bring um, the cricket, which is this, like, tiny little gun. I think it's designed for, like, children's first gun, which sounds terrible, but it's, like, for, for youth. It's a very small, compact rifle, and it's twenty two. And I was we were trying to decide if we should bring it so we'd have a grouse gun in and around camp. And Steve's like, no, no, I got my slingshot. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I'm like, really? Have you ever actually killed anything with a slingshot? I mean, I tried for years trying to, you know, like, with rocks, and every rock has got a little bit of a, you know, d- d- different angles on it, and then they can't really, rocks can't fly straight. Yeah, you got to get a flat one and take their head off. <laughs> Apparently. So, so give us the lowdown on your big blue grouse hunt. Oh, the blue grouse hunt, yeah. So doing the Alpine Ridge and found a... Found a fresh set of deer tracks up high in the Alpine, and it was uh, making this descent towards camp, kind of the direction I wanted to go. So I sat and watched for quite a while, never saw anything, so I started making a descent. Uh, and then I ended up jumping the deer, so it kind of followed its tracks for a little bit. It was going down towards the sort of some thickets, and then I got distracted by running into a cubby of big bluegrass. All of them were big. Uh, so I ended up getting one perfectly situated in a tree in front of me, uh, you know, covered mostly by branches, except for this perfect alleyway at its head. So I thought, well, why not? You know, <laughs> see if we can, see if we can prove Dylan wrong on this one. <laughs> see if we can actually kill a blue grouse. Yeah, so it wasn't a nice little spruce ruffy. It was a big mature blue grouse and we had uh, basically almost more chicken than we could have eaten last night. It was good. Yeah, it was a fryer size. It was like a genuine, like it was the size of a chicken you would buy in a store. Yeah, it was like, legit, legit chicken. chicken. Like, it was, it was a heavy bird. Yeah, it was a beautiful. Thing. Yeah, it was. I was when you I got back to camp. You're like, oh, I've got something for you for your culinary, uh, culinary expertise tonight. Expertise. Yeah, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I was expecting some kind of a mushroom, and you like pull out this giant bird. I'm like, how oh, the hell? What? It was a giant bird too. All of them in that cubby are giant, but it was good. It was. It wasn't. I've had um, bluegrass before, and they've been, it's been a bit tough. And this was a beauty. So, no, it was a beautiful bird. All right. Anyways. So this, that amounts to the total harvest on this trip, I think. Unless we miraculously bump the world's biggest buck on the way out on the trail. Well, I mean, we did see a buck this morning, right? We could go pursue it. Yes, we could. But I think we've made the call that it's going to take us a day to get out of here. And I think that's the, and, uh, yes. Yeah, I'm totally fine with not harvesting a deer on this trip. I've kind look- of made that commitment to myself yesterday, actually. Yeah, I mean, too. And... and Anyway, which was this? I mean, the, the the objective of this trip was twofold. One was, I mean, for you, what was your objective of this trip? Just come explore this country to see if it's worth coming back to take family and and explore on horseback and on foot and what the horse camp looks like. And that was really, and if I wanted to keep coming back and hunting it again, it's another one to see what what the country looks like. Heard some you know stories third hand of what this gorgeous valley has to offer, and so I just wanted to come in and experience it. Right on, and and for me, my main objective was one is to reconnect with horse hunting, and and I have horse hunted before, but it was a we actually rented horses from Wayne, no, from uh, Stan Walchuk, who great. yeah, who rents who rents out horses to folks who have some experience. And one of our and Larry, who was with us, has a lot of experience as a, as a horse person, and um, and led us on that trip and took on a lot of work. Um, but I haven't horse hunted for like ten years, and generally have a you know. Recognize this hot water coming off the stove here. Um, generally, you've had like recognize that horse hunting requires a lot more commitment of time, and uh, 
and you know you can't freely just go hunt when you want to hunt you got to deal with horses and there's a lot of work that comes with the horses before you can go hunting or, or after you've gone hunting so building that into your day is different and you have to maintain different expectations so, so actually my expectation for this trip was one was to reconnect with horse hunting and see if it's something that i want to pursue down the road but more importantly is is to connect with you steve and see if you know you and i can do these types of trips down the road and and basically suck up to you enough with some nice meals that you're like hmm, that dylan guy was pretty cool to hang out with because he makes good food <laughs> and then i have a buddy that does a tremendous amount of work for the other 12 months a year to maintain horses so that you can do these types of trips so maybe just finishing the podcast i think it's probably like important to recognize that there is compromises and benefits of hunting with horses we've talked about probably throughout the, the check-ins here but what does the rest of the year look like with with horses and, and kind of highlights but what does the commitment take to be a horse person and to be able to horse hunt well you first of all you have to have a passion for horses and you know you want to have a passion towards being a horse person you know the horsemanship as they as they speak about and yeah you basically care and feed for these animals all the time every day you're out there doing something with them you know we uh range ours well not range ours but sort of pasture ours and multi-rotational pastures throughout the field ours especially the icelandics are you know susceptible to founder um, from the sugars and the grasses so you're out there they, they come on and off twice a day plus we don't want our other horses all fat and you got fat horses going to the mountains and they're out of shape they, they don't do well either so it's not a benefit to them so you got to keep them active and you have to ride them you have to work with them you have to feed them i have to trim their feet you got to put shoes on them I have to well you have to be able to afford acreage what's the minimum acreage you would you need to have horses it depends how many horses you have i can't remember what let's say four is. we're gonna go well say four? five we'll say five because you're gonna do, if you're doing any kind of a trip you need two saddle horses and two pack horses and then you probably need another backup horse just to yeah totally because your feet or something's gone wrong with one horse or another yeah. they're injured they're lame before you before you go out yeah, yeah. you got to have <laughs> that's the other thing you have to have you know you make these commitments to go out and your horses sometimes they can't make it because they, they may be lamed up for some reason abscess but um so it depends four or five horses you know you want to have if you're going to be trying to range them on your like if you're going to try and pasture them on your own place then i would suspect you know you'd want to look at seven eight acres something like that so you need to continually because the problem is you wear down one patch you got to continually rebuild those soils and move them like horses have impacts and base of weeds you're doing waste of weed management yeah really and then with that many horses and if you have a small acreage and you're buying all your hay we're, we're pretty fortunate where you have enough acreage that we hay you know i have all of our hay and equipment so we our hay and equipment so we just do square bales and this year, I think we put up about a thousand bales, and so we'll have some extra going into next year. But we hay our field, our west field, and then we also hay some neighbors' fields, trade them for horse manure. So, yeah, it's uh, it's a big commitment to have horses all year round. Yeah, it's one thing to just ride out here and think, oh yeah, we got horses, we're gonna come out. But it's yeah, like you say, there's the eleven months and 23, 24 days you have prior to getting out. Taking them out. Um, what the heck I was, I was just going to ask, it was, um, just give me a second to go into my notes here in my head. <laughs> no, I know what it was. I, okay, the other, other important thing is that it. I know that it takes years from the moment you decide that you're going to buy a horse and to where you could actually take it in the mountains. Do you, can you give me the, the Coles notes on how, what that process is to go from, you know, like buying a horse and training it to, and living with it until you can have it join your 
group of more experienced horses in the mountains? Uh, it's not, no, it's not necessarily the horse. It's the horse person. Yeah. Right? So, you know, like people like Evan Howarth, who, you know, I think I mentioned earlier, is probably one of the most talented horse people in the world. Um, you know, he'll take a, a really green horse and he'll, you know, he'll spend some time and do some work with it, but he'll take it into the mountains. And mountain trips are some of the best trips you can do with your horse because you're just, you constantly, you're kind of doting on him, you're working with him, you're there, and you're spending a lot of time with him out here, generally. I mean, this horse's trip's a bit different. Like, we have a bit of a terminus valley, so we're not really riding too much during the day. Like, you know, I was working with Mouse the other day, um, just in the field here, in the, pat, in the, yeah, in the meadow. But to lead up to it, yeah, you're going to, you know, you've got to get them hobble trained. You work with them on ropes and halters and getting ropes around them. So you kind of, you know, desensitizing them to some of the elements that they're going to face out here. Uh, but they're also, you know, connecting with you to find that leadership portion, right? So that so when, you know, when things start to happen, then they don't totally freak out and try and make their own decisions that they're really looking for you for guidance. Like on the trail the other day, right? It worked out well because we have that connection and, didn't have an absolutely epic could have been an absolutely an epic disaster, disaster there, right yeah. with ropes tangled around legs and down over steep embankments i mean it would just would have been horrible and would have been horses yep. would have been broken injured legs and, shit, and yeah, yeah like, you know these stories happen right or these stories are told and these situations happen so there's a bunch of it that's that handle yeah well i mean that's you know what i've hung out with you know horse guys it's just like they're talk about one just taking the boiling water off the stove here one wreck after another I mean it's sort of what horse guys talk about is all the disasters they've had and along the way or not I mean it's just it's just part of the conversation it's part of the learning I guess but I mean these things do happen but um okay well hopefully that kind of I mean the, the tone I wanted to set for this this podcast was just to give a little bit of understanding of the compromises and the work that comes into horse hunting, but man, the benefits have been pretty fun. Like just hanging out with these animals and learning throughout the trip. Yeah, like, like this is pretty great here. I mean, I think they're having a decent time. They're not. We're not asking too much for once we get in here. They get to go out three times a day and have their frolic in the meadows. And, yeah. You know they're you know they're definitely on the program. They come back. They're nice and quiet at nighttime, and so they're obviously you know being well looked after. Now, yeah. That's the fun thing about being with horses. I mean, that's the thing. If you're on a horse hunt. You gotta love horses. Yeah. If you don't like horses, then you're probably not gonna enjoy horse hunting because I mean they come first. Sort of their needs come first. My needs come second. Their needs come first. My needs come second. So if I'm like going on the ridge and like, oh, I'd love to just keep cruising this alpine ridge and go over there, and I'm like, well, I could do that, or I could go down, make sure I get the horses, kick them out into the meadow, so they can have a couple hours of grazing in the middle of the day, and before I descend to my next evening hunt. So, you know, those are the kind of compromises that I make and want yeah, to make for them. Pretty right? manageable. And I think part of it too is you gotta you gotta pick a spot where you can manage both the horses and your hunting expectations. And I think we're able to do it here. Totally. And I think that's what's been neat about this hunt. Like I feel like I'm I'm hunted out for sure. Like I've, you know, been up every one of these hills around here and, you know, figured it out enough that it feels like I've hunted it and put a pretty good effort into if there was a mature buck around here, we would have seen it by now. Not necessarily got it, but at least seen seen one. You know, we've seen, I think in total, we've seen about fifteen or twenty deer. Most of and all of which, except for that one you saw this morning, was likely a doe. So for whatever reason, we're not finding the the, the buck pockets here in this particular valley, and we're not really finding a high density of deer given the amount of country that we've been through and seen. Um, 
seems like there's a lot of uh like there there is some habitat here that has been pounded over the years but there's no fresh sign in those areas so i i think we've come to the conclusion that there is maybe a reduced population of deer in here which maybe in years past has had a much higher population and um but what i really found in this spot is ultimately it's not a great it's not it's got some good spot and spot spot and spotting opportunities but not great spotting opportunities given the country we're in and i think if we go were to explore valleys you know adjacent to here we may find that there's uh a little bit more spotting opportunities but the other thing we talked about particularly looking over that other valley we were looking at is it would be kind of neat to be where we could get on the horses and actually ride a little bit up into alpine or through the valleys and actually get on the horses and cover ground and just look a little bit more mm-hmm. yeah so instead of having to hike that six or seven kilometers and snooping around you do it on the back of the horse which is which is a lot of fun which is something this valley misses mm-hmm. and the one thing i do like about the spotting here which is I, I think you like it from the bottom i like yesterday sitting up top and glassing from up high oh, like yeah. and it's pretty easy to get up there like it's a 30 minute walk to get up onto that ridge see that nice little now the, that one trail is defined so I, th- I like that like I like moving to get to a place so that's I kind of like it here for that aspect like getting up high and then glassing and sitting in a particular spot especially the knoll I think that's like a soul rejuvenating that's spot. a cool spot like yeah. it's yeah. you sit on this knoll and overlooking everything I don't know I think that spot is a yeah, spot I'd like to come back and just sit on just because it's yeah. Yeah. I don't care if I even see a deer on that spot. You just, it's just well, that's an the incredible main... situ- spot to situate yourself to look for animals. It's just amazing. And that's the main difference with that. And, that, and that's the difficulty of, of this. It's sort of the crux of it. It's like if we were backpack hunting, we'd be camped on that knoll. And we'd yeah. wake up in the morning and we'd put our little jet boil out and have our cup of coffee while looking over this incredible, you know, around this incredible country and have really an improved glassing opportunity. But of course, we can't get the horses up there. And even if we could get the horses up there, you'd be limited in terms of like grazing them and managing them. So it's just not really what you do. Mm-mm. So instead you got to start your day. Um, you got to deal with the horses first thing. I think we talked about that. And then by the time you actually get up that hill to that spot, you know, you, the first hour of light is probably burned off just by having a little bit later start because of the horses and then grinding up the hill at, you know, for half an hour, 45 minutes to get to the glassing line. And which and by then you know just the activity levels for deer is, is they're starting to turn in for the night or for the day and bed down and stuff so so that's really the limitation but I think mm-hmm. the opportunity I mean we've still been I mean it's a different type of hunt that's all there is to it totally and it's awesome and I'll, I'll do it again in a heartbeat so for so for the next hunt um, what are you thinking for the next where, where are you thinking next time for uh, yeah I think I'm going to talk to a few of the locals and, and look at just poking over to the next valley adjacent to this one as you mentioned I think it's got huge potential um, just to see if it's uh, yeah, if it's feasible to go in there what kind of activity level looks like um, yeah because I think it's got some great opportunity like you mentioned you know to have again that, that nice meadow set up where there's a horse camp and then you do the horse thing in the morning get out on foot do some spotting so you get your stretch your legs in the morning, which I like to do. Uh, and then, you know, have your lunch, saddle up a horse, go horseback hunting for the afternoon. Like, yeah. perfect. Yeah, I got like, nice. my ideal. My if, if I was to find an idealic hunting setup, it would be that. It'd be I would go for a walk in the morning, take the horses for a walk in the afternoon. It's like, that's what I'd want to do. Yeah, cool. We'll try and make that happen next year.
Cool, Steve. Well, thanks for doing this. Thank you so much for taking me out uh, on the horses. I've, I've really enjoyed the learning process, and that's been cool. Like, I learned a lot of knots and forgotten them already. <laughs> nice, the double diamond. <laughs> oh, yeah, the double diamond. One, two, three, tuck. One, two, three, tuck. Done. <laughs> yeah, got it. easy. Got it. Got it. <laughs> right on. Well, um, yeah, thanks so much for doing this, and um, yeah, we'll uh, be talking about the next trip right away. Thank you. Thanks for the dinners. <laughs> yeah, cool. Invited again. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that adventure. I sure appreciated. I'm, I'm back at home now, and I'm just tidying up the edit on this podcast and shipping it off to my editor. But I actually, a buddy reached out to me after the Packraft trip uh, podcast, and he said, "Hey, you know, the thing that was missing from that podcast was a bit of a wrap up and just your reflections and thoughts on it." And and I think this is a good one to sort of have a few reflections on it because. You know, it's a huge investment. Every one of these trips that you do, whether it's it's, you know, a sheep hunting trip or it's horse horse trip, like it's there's only so many, you know, holidays that you may have to dedicate to to hunting trips, and there's only so many, you know, weeks in October and weeks in September that you can actually like plan these things, and a lot of the adventures, you know, coincide with other potential adventures. So you kind of got to pick one and do it, and then reflecting back on it like what would would you do an adventure like this with with the horse hunting aspect and there's a couple thoughts and i and i'm not sure if they came out the podcast but there's definitely a couple things that i thought about after and i remember this from my previous hunt about 10 years ago where we took horses into elk country and i just remember being like gosh there's a lot of work that goes into um managing the horses and working with the horses and it's also a bit of like like riding horses is kind of scary like it, you know riding these horses and that you know you're on the back of a horse but you know you're you're moving through you know timber and country at any point like you know like i for sure don't have full control of these animals and like at any point you know these animals could take you through the timber where a bow might knock you off the horse or uh, or you just maybe lose your balance as you're you know going up and down or across steep slope so there's an element of that, which is a bit scary, which, you know, it's, it's manageable if you, if you're careful and you develop your skills. Um, but the one that is, you know, one that there is no, you know, and we've talked about the podcast, but like, man, like a lot of time that we, you know, we spend a lot of time working the horses, working with the horses, feeding them, watering them. And that does come at the expense of the flexibility that you can go hunting. And I think that's one of the pieces. And, and this year, you know, I kind of started my hunting season with a, you know, close to a full freezer, um, you know, it wasn't certainly in a meat crisis. So, you know, felt really okay with going on these types of hunts where there was a low probability that, you know, I was going to harvest something or, or at least I could enjoy spending some time learning about managing the horses and not be kind of in that sort of full drive mode to kill an animal. So this trip worked really well for me this year. We also had spectacular weather, which then made it like this really amazing, like camping slash horseback trip. And the hunting was really secondary. And I, I kind of went into this hunt thinking that, that, you know, the hunting component would be secondary to um, just having an experience of, of connecting with a good friend and learning about horses and being in a beautiful place and going and exploring this place too. So all of those factors, like, you know, made this like a 100% great trip. Having said that, if I was trying to go on a hunt where I, where I really wanted to hunt and engage in the hunting aspects of the trip... I don't know if horses would be my first choice. 
So I think there's a very small group, small specific types of hunts where we can really leverage the use of the horses to maximize, you know, the, or, or to, you know, make that whole thing pay off uh, for the amount of work that goes into them. And I think, you know, there's a number of trips that are like that, but I've been able to hunt for a long time and have pretty great adventures by just throwing a backpack on and starting to walk. And I think that's much more accessible to most folks and most new hunters as well is that, hey, just park it on the side of the highway and start walking. And, um, you know, you can, you can hike for three hours. Like if, if I, if I, if you pull up to the trailhead at the same time as somebody with horses and you start hiking, you're going to be three hours ahead of them before they even get on the trail by the time they've got everything loaded up and taken care of. So there's, there's lots of reasons why just, you know, getting out and legging it out and staying fit um, can really lead to some great adventures. Having said that, there's no way to get elk out of the country uh, without a horse if you're sort of extending those hunts, you know, beyond five kilometers. You really need the support of horses for some of those back back backcountry hunts, moose hunting, that type of thing too. So um, having said all that, if Steve, you know, calls me up and invites me to go mule deer hunting with him again on horses, I'm, I'm signing up for sure. It's going to be a, it's a ton of fun. And again, it's a real privilege to have someone and have a friend in your life that has dedicated the time and effort to taking care of horses and, uh, and, you know, being, being, you know, bringing them into their lives full time, like they have with their family and being able to show up with, you know, a few nice dinners and, and be able to, uh, get an invite back to, to hang out on the horses. So, so I'm, I'm all signed up. I recognize the work that goes into it. And I feel like it's real fortunate to do that. Um, but yeah, but, uh, gosh, had a lot of fun. So that was, that was a real highlight of this hunting season. And, uh, like I said, just the place was beautiful and, and, uh, the experience of the horses was, was second to none. So I'll be back. All right. That's my wrap up. Hey, if you haven't already done so leave a review for our podcast, I'm starting to see the people are listening, which is great. We'd love to see, uh, more reviews and certainly would love to get questions or feedback. And, and, um, if you see one of our posts come up, uh, on Instagram or, or Facebook, be sure to comment there and say, say you've been liking what you're hearing. If you're, if you're hanging around for, for this and give us some positive reinforcement for, for doing this. Um, but yeah, right on. Um, we'll catch you next time. Talk to you soon. Hey folks, I hope you enjoyed that podcast. Now, we'd love to hear from you. So drop us a question either on our Instagram or email me directly at dylan at eatwild.ca and we'll do our best to answer that question on our future podcast or we might even build an entire podcast based on your questions. So thanks for doing that. So if you want to hear more from Eat Wild, you can come join us. We're doing a series of Eat Wild Learn to Hunt webinars. So we're getting together on a monthly basis talking about all things hunting with a group of mentors through a webinar format. There are tons of fun. Come join us there. Now, if you happen to live in the Vancouver, Burst Columbia area, we do in-person workshops where we get together, learn fundamental skills for you to be a better hunter. Hope you can hang out for one of those too if you happen to be in the area. Now, we'd love it if you could leave a review or a comment wherever you listen to your podcast. That'd be a great help to us. And more importantly, share this podcast with folks who care about the stuff we're talking about. So thanks for doing that. Until next time, eat well and wild. Well.